Thank you, musicians, singers. Appreciate your ministry today. If you have your Bibles, will you turn to the book of Isaiah chapter 61? Isaiah chapter 61, we're going to read verses 1 through 11. I love the book of Isaiah. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's one of those books that, you know, they always ask the question that if you were stranded alone on a desert island, you know, and all you have is one book out of the Bible, which book would you choose? I think I would choose the book of Isaiah. And a lot of it is because it is a mini Bible. It's very interesting as you look at the book of Isaiah that I, the, book, the Bible has 66 books. Isaiah has 66 chapters. The first 39 books of the Bible are the Old Testament. The last 27 are the New Testament. The first 39 books of Isaiah kind of have a lot to do with judgment, different things. And then Isaiah 40 talks about, uh, uh, you know, the one preparing the way in the wilderness uh, and, and talking about the Gospels, John the Baptist. So it's very unique. I did a whole study on very unique uh, book, but it's just so rich uh, with the promises of God. And salvation is a great thing then where we experience true joy and forgiveness when we give our lives to Jesus. But it's also true that when we get saved, we enter a time of restoration and rebuilding in our lives. And this is a process that can be rewarding, but can also be very frustrating at times. And the comfort we have is that God is at work. One thing Pastor Mitchell used to always say back in the day is he'd say, God is at work, even when you can't feel him. He said, I remember one time uh, uh, I was at a conference, and and he said, God is at work. Write it down in your Bibles. You know, hey, God's always doing something. Many times uh, we hit lulls. We hit, feel like we, you know, hit uh, blockades in our walk with God. But he said, God's always doing something. And so God is always doing something in your life, even when you don't feel like uh, he's doing something. And many of us, we get saved and God comes into our lives. Jesus comes into our lives and he establishes what I call a beachhead. If you know anything about World War II and Iwo Jima, Uh, When they went into that island, they established a beachhead. There was one point uh, in that island where the uh, Marines made an invasion and all the land craft, the the water craft that came and the troops came in. Then they began to bring ammunition and different things. But that happened February 19th, 1945. But the island was not secured until March 26th, 1945. took over a month to win the victory on that island. That's a good picture because... uh, of our lives that, you know, Jesus comes into our lives, there's a lot more ground to, to conquer, isn't there? Amen. That's going to be going on until we get to heaven or till we go in the rapture because Jesus, through salvation, we pray a prayer. We have a salvation experience and he establishes a beachhead in our lives. Then he begins to branch out and begins to conquer other areas of our lives. And so I want to preach a message I've entitled The Great Exchange this morning. And we're going to read the whole chapter of Isaiah, chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This is, uh, this is the text that Jesus preached when he walked into the temple. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. 
and the day of vengeance to our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And they shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and the sons of the foreigners shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. But you shall be named the priests of the Lord. They shall call you the servants of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, you, have, you will, shall have double honor, and instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery for burnt offering. I will direct their work in truth and will make, them, uh, make with them an everlasting covenant. Their descendants shall be known among the Gentiles and their offspring among the people. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are the posterity whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its bud, as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. I want to begin and talk about consolation to the broken. In verse 1, it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And so it's good news to the poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, and the bound. And it says there in verse 3, this says to console those who mourn in Zion. So it's talking about a consolation. We have the story of Simeon in the New Testament who was to dedicate the child Jesus when Joseph and Mary brought him to the temple. And in Luke 2.25, it says, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. That word consolation means a calling near. An encouragement, a comfort, a solace, that which affords comfort, refreshment, a persuasive discourse, a stirring address, especially of the messianic salvation. And so we're talking about consoling people. You know, we're talking about consoling somebody that's very sorrowful. But this consolation has a much uh, uh, bigger meaning to the word. And if you look at that word in Luke 2.25, it's capitalized because it's talking about Jesus being the consolation. Jesus being the one that's going to bring consolation to people, the broken, the hurting, the brokenhearted, the captives, the bound. And Simeon, it's interesting, it says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. You know, you can be waiting for God to do things and the Holy Spirit can be upon your life. 
Maybe it hasn't happened yet, but you know what? The Holy Ghost can be abiding upon your life while you're waiting for God to move, while you're waiting for God to answer your prayer, for your, while you're waiting for the breakthrough, while you're waiting for God to deliver you from something. The Holy Spirit can be upon your life. The first thing he talks about, he says, I'll give them beauty for ashes. This literally means a diadem or a crown, which is to take the place of the ashes that have been sprinkled on the head of the mourners or penitents. So what he's saying is that back in the day, they would, when they were sorrowful, when they were crying out to God over something or grieving over their sin, they would put ashes on their head. And he says, instead of ashes, you're going to have a crown upon your head. You know, as I studied this out, uh, I, they, there's an actual story where this takes place. And it's the story of Mordecai and Esther. And in Esther chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, uh, Mordecai hears of a plot uh, where Haman wants to kill all the Jews in Persia. And so he's worked this plot. Uh, he got the king involved. The king signed the decree. And so now it looks like uh, it's gloom and doom for the people of, of uh, God's people, the Jews. Uh, and it says in Esther 4, 1 through 3, when Mordecai... When Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city. He cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went as far as the front of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every providence where the king's command and decree arrived, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes." And so here's Mordecai, he hears this report uh, that they want to destroy the Jew Jewish people, they want to kill them all, they actually had a decree signed that that was going to happen, and so if you know the story, uh, God turns the whole thing around, Haman is hung on the gallows that he, pro he uh, uh, made for Mordecai, and God's people are delivered, and it says in e e Esther 8, verses 15 through 17, it says, so Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white, with a great crown of gold and a garment of fine linen and purple, and the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. The Jews had light and gladness, joy and honor. And in every province and city where the king's command and decree had came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a holiday. The many of the people of the land became Jews because of the fear of the Jews fell upon them. And so here's a man who had sackcloth and ashes on his head, but now he has a, he has a crown, and he has, he has fine linen and purple, royal apparel, crown of gold on his head. God gave him beauty for ashes, an actual story where it happened, it took place. And that's what God wants to do for us. Many times we confront situations that are gloom and doom. What am I going to do? There's no way escaping this. What's going to happen? But God wants to give you beauty for ashes. He can turn the whole thing around. Beauty for ashes can also mean the rebuilding of our lives from the ruins of sin, like the rebuilding of the temples in the Old Testament. 
How many of you know many times the temples were destroyed and they were burned uh, with fire and so it was nothing but ashes and just broken down, uh, uh, you know, building, uh, building supplies just laying all around. In Nehemiah 2.17, uh, Nehemiah, is, he's touring the, uh, the broken down temple and he said, Then I said to them, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies wait and its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And so that temple became a thing of beauty. It became a thing where God's power was now poured out. They had to fight through a lot of things, but God gave them beauty for ashes. And God can give your life beauty for the ashes of destruction in your life. The ashes of sin, where you're burnt out, amen, from sin. Where sin has destroyed your life. He can give you beauty out of that. He can give you dominion out of the ashes of destruction God can make something beautiful again. It says he gives them the oil of joy for mourning. There can be joy even in the midst of sorrowful circumstances. Part of the Hebrew meaning of this word is geared for mourning for the dead. And when there's mourning for the dead, we know there are things that can never be fixed, words that can never be spoken again. Seeing this in funerals, I participated in more funerals than I would have liked to over my life. There was a time, I think I've told you, that when I was on staff in Tucson, a period of two years, we had over 50 funerals. This was during COVID. There was several elderly people, plus we had tragic deaths, different things that happened. And those were just the ones at the church. And there was other ones outside the church that we did. And so I've been to more of those than I want to be in. But you know what I found out about those funerals? is that even in circumstances you can't change, where you're never going to talk to that loved one again, you're not going to be able to make things right, things couldn't be healed, but there's joy. That there's a deep joy that will, you, you can talk to people, loved ones, uh, uh, people who've lost their loved ones and say, yeah, you know, I'm very sorrowful, it's very bad, but you know what, I also feel the presence of God in a way I've never felt the presence of God before. Because God matches that grief. And he can give you the oil of joy for mourning. What about the circumstances in life that you can't change? Can you still find joy in these? Because you can find joy even when you're fighting the battles of life. Psalm 23, 5, David had that famous psalm. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. So David is viewing his enemies. They're, he's staring across at them, and God's setting a table for him. Not only does God set a table for him, he says, He anoints my head with oil, the oil of joy for mourning, the oil of joy for fighting those constant battles. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You really need joy if you're going to fight the battles of God. You can't walk around gloom and doom all the time. There's a point where you just have to say, God, I have no control over this situation. There's nothing I can do. The enemy's staring at me right there. But you know what? I'm trusting you to bring joy into my life because the joy of the Lord is my strength. Sometimes it's the mourning of our past sin that God brings the oil of joy to. Then you know what? In spite of what we've done in the past, he can bring a new joy. James 4, 8, and 9 says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. 
And so, you know, there's, there's, there's that element that, you know what, uh, when we have sin, it should cause us to mourn. But that mourning can be turned into joy when you apply God's forgiveness uh, and you apply God's grace uh, and you apply God's restoration to your life. Joy also comes from despising sin. Psalm 45, 7 says, You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. When we love the things of God and we despise what is evil, that's what's going to give you real joy in your life. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 8 says, Let your garments always be white and let your head lack no oil. So in other words, how many of you know, sometimes we, we, want, we want to live right, but it's like we're kind of sorrowful about living right. God wants us to have joy in living right. There needs to be some victory there. There needs to be some, you know, happiness. The life that's, that's lived for God is not meant to be sorrowful. Oh, man, I, I'd like to be out there doing stuff, but God says I can't do that, you know. That's, that's, that's not joy. Listen, the greatest joy I have is when I'm doing my best for God. That's the greatest joy I ever experience. The greatest sorrow I have is when I'm struggling. It says he gives us the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That word heaviness in the Hebrew means dim, dull, colorless, uh, to be dark, to be faint. I mean, you know, God brings color into our lives. God brings something, you know, that he turns the water into wine. Water is a colorless, you know, uh, object. To, but how you turn it into wine, it becomes red. So, you know, God brings color into the darkness of our lives. Garment of praise. Three times in Psalm 42 and 43, it, David says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Praise is worship, but it's also a weapon. Praise is also a weapon where you can fight against depression and oppression, discouragement and lies of the enemy. When we worship, we change our garments. He gives us the garment of praise for that garment of heaviness that wants to come upon us. Story of Zechariah. Joshua, the high priest, such a great story in Zechariah 3, 1 through 4. Joshua, the high priest, is standing before God, so he's wanting to worship, but he's unclean. It says, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing in his right hand to oppose him. You know, the devil opposes you when you try to worship God. He always wants to oppose you when you decide you're going to worship God, you decide you're going to pray, you're going to decide you're going to do something for God. He always wants to oppose you. And Satan then is standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. So God took away that garment of heaviness of sin and gave him a fresh garment, a glorious robe, a rich 
robe. What happened to the prodigal son? The prodigal son came, returned to his father, and his father put a new robe on him. Verse 10 of our text says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful, my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. God says, he's covered me with a robe of righteousness. And God wants to do that. He wants to give you the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. I look next at planting and rebuilding. This is speaking of the stabilizing and restoration of our lives in verses 3 and 4 of our text. It says, um, to comfort, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And they shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations. And they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. One of the biggest challenges in people when they come to God or they come back to God is to get them planted. (laughs) Is to get them planted, to be in the house of God, to be in the things of God long enough for God to begin to work in their life. This is always a struggle. It's always a battle because there's things always trying to pull people out of the house of God. There's always things trying to pull people out of the will of God. But God says uh, there in verse 3, he says that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. And there's something about when you plant your life that God can bless your life. Psalm uh, 92, 12 through 14 says, The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. So there's something about being planted. He says, if you're planted in the house of God, that there's a fruitfulness that will come from your life. And, you know, one of the problems, you know, like with houseplants, my, my wife uh, has a jungle. I mean, she has, she has plants. Uh, and, um, uh, and so, but there's plants. She was telling me about that they, they have a hard time when you transplant them. They don't, they don't do well. It's like you can plant them in one place. When you try to uproot them and plant them somewhere else, it doesn't work out very well. And so being planted and being rooted is very important for how It's also very important for Christians. You know, just give God time. What happens is people get impatient. Like I said, they, they come, God does something, but it's just like, man, they enter into more problems. And Listen, I had somebody tell me once, uh, you know, they started coming to church as a family member. They said, you know what? We were fine until we started coming to church, and so we started having all kinds of problems. <laughs> so, well, you had some problems before you came to church, but I didn't want to go into that with them. But what happens is you come to church, and God starts manifesting things in your life. God starts dealing with things in your life. He starts bringing things to the surface. And so people get frustrated at that point and say, well, what's the use? Why should I come to church? You know, it just seems like things are getting worse. No, God's trying to bring those things to the surface uh, that he might heal those things and deliver you of those things uh, and, and do a work in you that you might be established in God. Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. 
and his hope is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will it cease from yielding fruit. So he's talking about a tree planted by the waters. You need to be planted by the waters of your church. There's, there's, there's refreshing you're going to hear. There's nutrients you're going to get in the house of God that you're not going to get out there in the world. And it's going to take away your strength. It's going to take away your vitality. You know, in our, in our generation, the last day's generation, the prophet Daniel said, many will run to and fro. Many will run to and fro. And so he's talking about people that are just going here. and go, They're not planted. They're not rooted in anything. And we see people wandering aimlessly through life. But there's something about when you are planted in, in God's kingdom and planted in God's house, there's a blessing that will come upon your life. And many times it's difficult to work through those issues, but if you will do that, God will help just plant yourself. So you know, I'm going I'm to plant myself right here. I'm going to believe God to work in my life. And you will be surprised as the days go by all the great things that God does. There'll be all kinds of turbulence that'll fight against you, all kinds of uh, spiritual warfare that'll fight against you. You can fight with your wife, your wife fight with your husband. You're going to do all kinds of things, but you got to stay in the house of God. You watch what God does. You know, Satan, when God asked him in the book of Job where he's going, it says, uh, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. You see that? There's, there's, no, stable as, you know, there's no stability to Satan. He's just to and fro, going back and forth, seeing who, can, who, who he can mess up, who he can torment, who he can sabotage. No stability. God says, plant by the rivers of water. Plant your life in the courts of God. Watch what I do. Proverbs 2, 21 and 22 says, For the upright will dwell in the land, and the blameless will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the earth, and the, un and the unfaithful will be uprooted from it. When you're unfaithful, what happens is you get uprooted. You, get, you, can't, you can't take the nutrients anymore you get uprooted and just like any uprooted plant or or shrub or whatever it's going to die isaiah also talks about rebuilding verse four and they shall rebuild the old ruins and they shall raise up the former desolations they shall repair the ruined cities the desolations of many generations this is a work that's often a long and slow process and it's very hard for us to be in the real re rebuilding process. Sometimes it takes place a, a brick at a time. You read the story of, of Nehemiah restoring the, uh, you know, restoring the temple there and how that they just brick by brick, it got restored. Sometimes your life is like that. It's decision by decision. You know, here a little, there a little. It's just little decisions you make every day. And that temple is being built up to something beautiful, something glorious. But it takes time. It's a process. We lose the will to work on the temple. 
I'm not just talking about working on the church. I'm talking about working on our temple. We lose the will to continue to put those bricks, that brick of prayer, the brick of church attendance, the brick of reading your word, the brick of outreach, restoring our lives. Interesting story in the book of Haggai, chapter 1, verses 7 through 10, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure and be glorified. Says the Lord, you looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. And so God was trying to get them to rebuild the temple so he could pour his glory out. But they, they, you know, they just wanted to hang out at home. They wanted to hang out and watch ESPN and you know, experience the blessing of God. We get tired of working on our temple. Earlier in Haggai chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Uh, not today, you know. Time's not, it's not the right time. I mean, you know, people do that all the time. Well, I know I need to get saved, but it's just not the right time. We need to enjoy God, but there's never a time when we are perfected this side of heaven. We always need to be working on our salvation. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean that you don't enjoy your salvation, but you know what? You've got to work on yourself. Philippians 3, 12 through 15, Paul is towards the end of his life. He's at the end of his ministry. He says, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. So what did Paul say? He said, I, I press toward the goal. He said, I forget what's behind, and I look for what's ahead. And he says, many as are mature have this mind. So you've been saved for a few decades. You haven't arrived yet. There, there, there's still work to do. Been saved for 43 years. God has a lot of territory to conquer in me. But don't ever get to the place where you think, see, the Pharisees got to a place where they, they arrived. I'm already, yeah, I, here's a few things God could work on, I guess, you know. But they got to a place where they felt like, I don't have to work on anything. I can just cruise. You can never cruise. You're walking, no matter how long you've been saved. Paul said, as many as are mature have this mind. As many have been saved for a long time, have this mind. And what's the mind? I press on. I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. I do not count myself to have apprehended. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. As many as are mature, have this mind. Also works for young converts. Hallelujah. I want to end this morning talking about harvest time. We often hear about the importance of sowing, but God here is promising the harvest that we will benefit 
from sowing. I want to read the final verse in Isaiah 61, verse 11. It says, For as the earth brings forth its bud, as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. There's a theme in Isaiah about this over and over again where he talks about the harvest. And in Isaiah 45, verse 8, it says, Rain down, you heavens, from above, and let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open. Let them bring forth salvation. Let the righteousness spring up together. I, the Lord, have created. So part of this is, is us sowing, but part of God is sowing things into our lives that are going to bear fruit later. God is sowing things by his spirit into your life that are going to bear fruit down the road. Isaiah 58 verse 11 says, The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones and you shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And so God talks about being like a watered garden in the midst of drought that you can experience the, the blessing of God even in the midst of, of drought around you. Final one is Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it forth, uh, bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. It shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. I think I shared this before, but it's worth mentioning again. He says, as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven. You know, there's things that God plants in your life that are going to bloom later. I worked in uh, Kansas, or it was our first place we pioneered a church, and I worked at a, I call it a destruction company. It was actually a construction company, but... We tore down stuff and, and hauled stuff away. So I used to call it a destruction company. But anyway, I worked with these guys that were all farmers. They were all uh, farmers. Most of them were farmers. Uh, and they would work in the summer. And then they would work on their farms in the winter. And so I'm having a conversation. One of them I really liked, got along with him well. I just would ask him different questions at times. And so I was just talking to him one day. I said, what's your favorite part about farming? What, what is it? Because he, you know, he really enjoyed what he did. And he said, man, I like it when the fields are just, you know, they're all prepared, he says, and they're covered with a cap of snow because it snowed in Kansas. And he said, and then, you know what? That snow just settles on there. And he says, later the rain comes out and that snow sinks into the ground. And then, you know, the fruit, the hard, the wheat would come forth uh, and he talked about that process. You could just see this look in his eye like, man, I really, I really dig it, man. When, you know, when we prepare, we, we uh, make the fields ready and, and, and the snow comes and there's a cap on the field. And I thought about that with the word of God because God says as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven. How many of you know rain comes down, you absorb that immediately? It goes in the ground, you just suck it up. But sometimes the snow comes and it just stays on top for a while. And you need the sun to let it sink in. And so there's things that God deposits in your lives that won't make sense till later. 
There's things that, that God puts in your life that are for a later date. And it's when the revelation, you know, God's sun begins to shine upon you. Oh, that's what that was for. Have you ever read a scripture, didn't understand what it means? And then one day you're in prayer, you're just doing your devotion. Oh, that's what it means. That's because the sun came out, melted the snow, and you get it. And there's promises that God deposits in your life that are not for this time. You feel them. You feel like it's going to happen. But you know what? What happens is it's snow. The potential is there. It's all, it's all there. It's all ready. But at some point, the, the sun will come out, and it will melt that snow and bring to pass the promises that God has planned. Mark 4, 26-30, Jesus said, And he said, The kingdom of God is as, is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. For the earth uh, yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, and after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So there's things that God wants to bring a harvest of in your life. Mark 40, 33 says, And with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to bear it. So God would give them different things at different times. And he knew there was things later. It's another scripture. I believe it's in the book of John. He says, he says, there's many things I want to tell you, but you're not able to bear them now. There's many things that God wants to do in our lives, but he's going to do later. Paul told the Apostle Paul when he got saved, he said, uh, I've made you a minister and a witness of the things uh, that I shall tell you and the things that shall yet come. He said, Paul, I have some things for you right now. And I got some things down the road. That's true of all of our lives. When I was an evangelist, I preached for many faithful churches and individuals who had not experienced the harvest of their labors and Seeds planted. I remember praying. God inspired me to pray several times for churches. And I used to pray towards the end of uh, me being an evangelist. I would go into churches and I'd see the faithfulness of God's people. And I remember praying, God, bring a harvest of the seeds that have been planted. Bring a harvest of the labors that's gone forth. Bring a harvest of the prayers that's been prayed. Bring a harvest of all the giving that people have given. I remember just praying that over and over again. God, just bring a harvest. And I believe that's, that's what God has. Even now as I pray in this church, I say, God, bring a harvest of the faithfulness of God's people here. Bring a harvest of the prayers that you have prayed. Bring a harvest of the seeds you have sown financially or in prayer, whatever it may be. God, bring a harvest of these prayers. And I believe you can pray the same thing. God, bring a harvest of my prayers. Bring a harvest of my sacrifice. Verse 11 again, For as the earth brings forth its bud, and as the garden causes the things that are sown in to spring forth, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. There's people here that your harvest is coming. Your harvest is coming. Don't miss it. Hebrews 6, 7 through 12 says, For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated, receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected near to being cursed whose end is to be burned. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner, for God is not unjust 
to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So what's he telling? He says, you know what? He gives this whole illustration about the earth drinks uh, in the rain that comes upon them, bears herbs, useful for those. He's talking about that process of harvest. And he says, we are believing God for this for you. And he says that you show the same diligence to the end, that through faith and patience you would inherit the promises of God, that you would inherit the harvest that God has for you. Maybe God wants to do some things in your life right now. John 4.35, Jesus said, do, not, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Sometimes we just need to believe God for the harvest now. I was very excited last night with the UGA outreach. Found out the, wheels, the, the fields were white. We started out, it didn't look like there was a lot happening. Every, the sun's like beating everybody to death and and, uh, you know, really wasn't a lot of people around, but the sun went down, people started coming. The end, hands start going up to get saved. Six students raised their hands, six UGA students raised their hands to get saved last night. That's a miracle. Listen, I've seen, you know, years of Tucson laboring in the University of Arizona campus, Arizona campus, nothing. Or just a little trickle. Maybe somebody come to a Bible study, you know. We saw people respond last night. Man, it was heaven. It was heaven. It's also true that our children will reap a harvest that we sow. Verse 9, their descendants shall be known among the Gentiles and their offspring among the people. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are the posterity whom the Lord has blessed. We're not just praying for our generation. We're praying for the generation that follows us. We're praying for the next generation that comes up. That's the vision that Tucson Church always had. Our, our ministry for the young kids called the next generation for years because we believe that God has a move of God for our generation and we believe he has a move of God for the next generation. The great exchange is God gives us beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, a rebuilding of our lives from the rubble of destruction, the planting of the Lord. As we plant ourselves in the things of God, God will bring forth a blessing from our lives. Let's bow our heads. Amen. Appreciate your patience this morning. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Just before we go any further in this service, I just wonder if there's anyone here today within the sound of my voice. You do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never been born again. Or perhaps you're here today and you've been saved, but you've walked away from God at some point. You never, you never planted your life. You've been uprooted and now you're, you're dying. You're like the, the, the vine branch that's been cut off. You're not receiving the life of Christ, the life of the Holy Spirit in your life, and you're shriveling on the vine. God's here to restore you. He's a restorer. As we read in this scripture, 
God wants to restore. He wants to plant your life again. He wants to, a great harvest to come from your life, but you have to make a decision. You know what, God? I'm going to give my life to you. I'm going to plant my life in the things of God. And the first way you do that is you give your life to Jesus Christ. If you've already done that, but you backslid and you rededicate your life to Jesus Christ, and he can help you. He can make that a reality in your life. He can bring forth a harvest in your life but can only come by your decision. He will not violate man's free will. He will not force you to be saved. The Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He woos us. He moves upon us and waits for us to respond. And he's waiting for you this morning to respond to him. The moving of his spirit is moving upon you right now. If that's you, you're unsaved, you're backslidden, you need Christ. You slip up your hand, put it right back down. You say, that's me, I really need God this morning. You're unsaved, you're backslidden, you need Jesus Christ. Don't leave this place before getting right with God. He will help you if you'll respond. Slip up your hand, put it right back down. Church, this morning, I just, when I was studying yesterday, and putting this message together, I just thought about that harvest time. There's people here. Man, there's been things planted in your life. There's been promises planted, and you haven't seen, you haven't seen it happen yet. It's like the snow on the dirt. The sun hasn't shined on that promise yet, but that promise is there. And there's coming a day when that sun is going to shine. And that's going to sink in. It's going to bear fruit. And there are many promises. You Maybe you've been given a word in the past. Maybe you just felt like a certain promise in your heart. And it hasn't taken place yet. Do not get discouraged. But Paul said, through faith and patience, uh, inherit the promises. That there is, all the things have been sown already. There's things that have been planted, things that have been put into your life, and they're about to bear fruit. And I believe in the last days we're going to see that harvest field that's white unto harvest. We're going to see how many years have you labored on the UGA campus? How many, how many outreaches have you had where maybe nobody responded? You know, last night six people raised their hand. That's because God is honoring your years of labor, your years of prayers, your years of, 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 of sowing the word of God and being faithful. And God's saying, now it's the, sun, the snow is melting. And you know what? Uh, those promises are coming forth. I believe God has that for many people in this church. And, and I believe he can remind you of those promises if you make an altar this morning. Amen. Let's, bow our, let's uh, stand this morning and these altars are open.